Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. I would introduce him as uh, Golf Channel's Justin Ray, but he's now going over to the 15th club to betray us and become part of Team Europe's winning Ryder Cup team. Mr. Justin Ray, welcome to the No Laying Up podcast. Sorry, long-time listener, first-time caller. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I think it's kind of – we wanted to make nice with you before you kind of make the full transition over to the 15th club here and uh, – turn your back on the country here. You, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing? Oh, I mean, you know, accusing me of treason is a great way to start the interview. But that's um, <laughs> I, I like to punch people in the face a little bit and then get them back on their heels. So, I mean, I, I was at Golf Channel for a little over five years. Um, 15 Club, as you mentioned, um, you know, they do a lot of player performance stuff, getting some of the top players in the world, primarily guys from Europe better. Uh, Rory McIlroy is their most prominent client. Um, but they're dipping their toe more into the storytelling side of things, uh, the media side of things. And you know they're they're in a really unique position in the industry at the crossroads of really analytics and storytelling and player performance, and it was just a perfect fit. And I'm I'm just so excited to be part of it. Um, it's a company that is really mobile and young and agile and is going to do a lot of really big things in the future. And I'm I'm fired up to be part of it. Well, I'm a big fan of every all of it except for obviously the helping of the European uh, Ryder Cup team, which seems to be working. I want to get into some of that. But uh, what exactly are you going to be doing? I know, I know your role there is director of content. What is that? Uh, what does that mean? Are we? Are, am I creating a rival here by having you on? Are you guys competing with us in this uh, in the podcast space? What's going on? Uh, I don't. I don't. I mean, we can have a friendly rivalry if that's <laughs> if that's what it evolves to. I mean, I'm going to be doing a lot of stuff that you know folks know me for already. Um, you know, creating numbers and identifying you know identifying trends and the stats everyone knows um, that I do. I'm going to do a little bit more writing. Um, it's going to be odd. I'll, the, the last job I had outside of TV was at a Foot Locker in college in Columbia, Missouri. So those first few days without going to a, a TV studio and sitting in a production meeting, it's it's a little bit surreal. But, um, you know, a lot of the same stuff. And then I'm, I'm going to want to dip my, dip my toes a little bit into the player performance um, side of it, helping guys out, helping them get better. Um, but we've got a lot of exciting stuff down the pike. I wish I could divulge everything that we're doing. But um, it's, uh, it's a really exciting time for 15th Club. And um, we're going to grow exponentially from what we are now. Well, I do look forward to seeing that. Why don't uh, for you, you referred to it there, but kind of your background. I want to hear uh, in your own words as to what you used to do at Golf Channel and uh, and kind of all the depth of what you do. I know people see your stats and stuff on Twitter that are very timely and always coming at the right time. But what what else do you do for Golf Channel? And what is your your official job there? Yeah, so I started at uh, ESPN. I had an internship there before I graduated college. Um, I in the research department um, after school went straight there. Um, and was at ESPN for a better part of seven years. Um, I was in Bristol, um, working in the research department, doing, you know, all sports, baseball, football, basketball, working on sports center. Um, I was privileged enough to be the researcher on Scott Van Pelt's radio show for several years, which I don't know if you can possibly have more fun in a professional setting. I went and 
you know, talk sports with my buddies and laugh my ass off. And that was my, that was my job. It was unbelievable. Um, when ESPN launched Longhorn Network, the network dedicated to University of Texas, they were like, do you want to go move? I'm from Texas. I'm not a Longhorn. I went to Missouri, but I'm from Texas. And they're like, do you want to live in Austin and get a promotion? I was like, yep, sure do. I want to get out of the snow. I'm going to be doing that. Um, and since it's college athletics, the summers were open and I could still, I could still work on their golf coverage. Um, so I did that um, until 2014. Um, golf Channel kind of uh, got in touch with me, and you know I helped kind of shape um, what their research department did on Golf Central and live from um, at the majors and players and Ryder Cup and all those big events um, over the last five years or so. And now um, I've been with 15th Club for about 30 hours. So <laughs> <laughs> it's it's been a wild, a wild few weeks. Um, but you know, I've been in this space of, of golf stats and sports statistics and storytelling and all that stuff. Um, I've been in the booth at the Masters, at uh, the U.S. Open, um, been on the live from sets all over, and all the big events Golf Channel covers. It's it's an unbelievable gig. I still can't believe I get to do this for a living. Um, but that's uh, that's kind of where I'm at. What uh, for those you know? You you said you went straight to ESPN after college with an internship. For the for the listeners at home, the college kids or the high school kids that might be listening, that sounds like a pretty dreamy job. How does somebody go about getting an internship like that at ESPN? It was unbelievable, man. Um, so I was told that they had about fifteen. This was two thousand seven, and I was told they had about fifteen thousand applicants for the research job. And oh they my gave, god! They had, and two got it, and I was one of them. So. <laughs> Did you know somebody? How does that happen? I have a story. I have a story and it's, I'm going to get, it's going to be a little long winded at first, but it'll make sense. So 2007, um, I've applied for the production associate internship and the research internship. So Kansas plays Missouri in a basketball game. We, Missouri gets crushed. Kansas destroys us, but it's the week. Do you remember the horse Barbaro? Oh yeah. And this is going to, this sounds, this is going to sound insane, but um, so it was the week that that coverage just was wall to wall everywhere on ESPN and me and my friends in our quasi inebriated state that morning, making a sign for the game scrawled out on a piece of poster board, like a murderer, Bill self killed Barbara. And that was our sign we brought to the Mizzou, Kansas game. So John Anderson just happens to be at the game. No way. And he sees us from the court points up on our sign, thinks it's hilarious, physically walks up into the stands and signs our sign and shakes our hand. It was great. It was fun. Kansas obliterated Mizzou. And, you know, we, we, it was a great memory. So a few months later, as I'm waiting for feedback from to see if I got the internship as a production associate or in research, um, I got an email from after I was rejected for the PA internship, John Anderson sends a note to a handful of Mizzou people who applied and says, hey, nobody thought I was worth anything when I was a kid. Keep working hard. It was a really nice gesture by him, encouraging you know, us to keep moving forward and you know, doing our thing. So I replied to him. I was like, I've also applied for the – thank you, John, for the nice note. I've also applied for the research internship. You may remember me. You signed my Bill Self-Killed Barbaro sign a few months ago. <laughs> and John, in about 15 seconds, like he's sitting at his desk with Outlook open, working on the sports center. In like 30, I'm in the library at Mizzou, and within 30 seconds, he replies to the email in all caps, I am recommending you for the research internship based on your sign alone. No way. I've never and heard this yes. story. And then a couple months later, I had I, I had to go through the whole process of you got to pass all these kind of like sports knowledge tests and there's interviews and stuff. But that moment of lunacy and happenstance that John Anderson, you know, saw my sign and thought it was funny, helped me get my foot in my door and essentially – 
it it helped start my career. So Man. that's it's crazy and it's it's true. And John's made me tell that story to Rick Riley like four or five times. So <laughs> I was afraid to ask the question because I was afraid the answer was going to be like, "Oh, my dad like called in a favor or so and so." Because no, uh, well, no. I I. Uh, I remember when I was like around that age, I thought, man, if I could work in sports or do like that exact job, that would be like the happiest thing in the world. But there's no way I would I would ever get that job. And you laying out that math of fifteen thousand people applying and two getting it was kind of like, yeah, that's that's. I felt like the deck was stacked against me. Never would have thought making a sign that says "Bill Self Killed Barbaro" would have got helped launch your career in sports. Yeah, what? exactly, exactly. I'm like, so in the months after that, I'm I'm working in a Footlocker part time job at when I, you know, in, in a mall when I was in college and I'm like answering their quizzes over the phone. And, you know, they would call you and ask, like, I'd be walking between classes and like the head of research would be like, all right, so what do you think of uh, the secondaries in the NFC West this season? Like who has the best bullpen in the AL East? You know, name as many masters champions as you can since 1980. Like, you know, it's all general sports knowledge. They're trying to, they have, we're the nerdiest of the nerds in sports. If you're a researcher at ESPN, there's just so much minutiae that, it, you know, you feel like you've been trained your whole life just by being an insane sports nut like I am. But, um, yeah. I guess where does that <laughs> come crazy. from? No, where does that come from? Are you just like, did you look up numbers and stuff as a kid? Or and I, I was kind of, I used to retype the box scores in baseball, like from when I was like six years old. I used to retype them the day after, like for, for whatever reason. I, so I come from like this really nerdy stat background as well. I loved sabermetrics in baseball and I really, you know, engaged in strokes gain, kind of like sabermetrics of golf. So, I, I feel like I can kind of relate to you on a certain level. I just wanted to like, where, where does this kind of foundation of sports knowledge comes from? I've just always been obsessed with it. I mean, it's, it's one of the only things in life that has an ultimate outcome. You know, sports is there's a winner and a loser. It's, I don't know. Never, you don't really get that in any other facet of life, whether it's, you know, real world events or relationships or what it is. I don't know if I was, I was drawn to that. I was always drawn to the numbers in it. Um, I was, a. I, my dad tells me I would, sneak out and steal the Houston Chronicle sports page before he could get to the paper in the morning. So, um, you know, I just voraciously read that all the time. Um, and I've been into all sports always. I mean, like I'm an NBA league pass junkie. I always been a huge NBA guy. Um, love football, um, grew up playing select baseball. Actually me and Kyle Porter real of CBS realized about a year ago, we grew up in Houston at about the same time and we played against each other in select baseball in the late nineties, early two wow. thousands. Yeah. It's a small universe, man. <laughs> you yeah. never know where you, you'll end up back at. Um, I don't know. I, I was the kid who kept his baseball stats in an Excel file on his dad's computer. Same you know? exact thing. Correct. So, you know, so that that's that's kind of the way I was always always wired. Every sports project was, you know, I, I was a. It was or I mean, every school project was always about you know a golfer or baseball player, or, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar yeah. or whatever it might be. So, did you ever reach base via error? Because I never did. If I reached base, it was a hit <laughs> when I was keeping my own statistics. So, I was pretty generous with my earned runs as a pitcher. <laughs> exactly. My, the fielders behind me let me down a lot too back in the day. Uh, I want to. I want to know a bit about kind of what your process is like, specifically, I guess, more so with golf as to what your database looks like, and because I mean, we're all amazed at how where you pull these stats from and the timeliness of it, and how you even go about looking it up. Do you just have like the mega Excel file with every you know? Know, PGA Tour shot ever recorded in it, or how does this how does this work? Um, so over time, I've, I've built my resources. You know, I've done this for oh gosh, twelve years now. So uh, over the years, I've been able to to create a whole bunch of different 
databases um, based on my own manual entry, going through media guides and record books and stuff. And then also the PG Tour um, is able to provide um, through a. They, I mean, they have so much information that I've spent. I spend every day of my life on the site, and I feel like I still find new stuff. Um, so it's a combination of those two things. But like over the years, like I've built my first big project I did at ESPN and golf was a big Excel database of every major champion since the 1860 open and like their position by round, their age shots back, you know, all that stuff. So that, you know, when Rory wins his fourth major at uh, Valhalla at age 25, I click three things and I have the list of guys to do that. Wow. uh, To win four majors by 25. Just like pivot tables or what? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I'll say database, but I mean, I have a journalism degree, man. It's not, it's nothing, it's not like computer programming stuff. It's, right. it's just a basic Excel file and, you know, knowing how to sort it and what, you know, what you're looking for and, um, and all that. And, I, and I've done that too with like PGA Tour winners with um, 54 whole leaders on the PGA Tour. Um, I have an LPGA one. Um, I've got every top 10 in major championship history in a file. Hmm. Um, you know, so I'm, I, I, but this has taken time. It's like, you know, it's like your old man with a set of tools. You know, you don't just get the whole toolbox right away. Like you build it over, you know, over the years. You know, you don't have the whole collection right away. So, um, and now I'm at the point where I've got, I've got pretty much everything that, you know, that I need, you know, I try to challenge myself and come up with new things. Like uh, the thing I'm working on right now that I'm going to have for the masters is um, the strokes gained against the field for every round in masters history. So I'll be able to tell the most accurate story about, okay, Jordan Spieth's off to an amazing start in his master's career. Here's how it ranks in X, Y, and Z. Um, Hmm. So I'm always trying to come up with new ways to, you know, get better at my craft and get better at telling stories and, you know, giving people the numbers that um, they haven't seen before in golf. A quick break here, guys, to check in with our friends from OGO. We have not heard from them uh, in a while on this podcast. This is a brand that has sold over 2 million backpacks per year, and they have reinvented the walking golf bag. You'll see uh, in Tourist Sauce Season 3 that we've all got OGO walking bags now. Uh, they've got they're integrating industry leading strap technology. OGO's Shadow Fuse 304 golf bag, perfect companion for the walking golfer. If you're listening to this already on Wednesday morning, we are we might actually be out on the course with our walking bags at this very moment. It's got wide, dense, completely redesigned padding, self-leveling fit disc technology. The Shadow Fuse 304 golf bag delivers unparalleled walkability. If you walk a golf course, you need this golf bag. Learn more about the best straps in golf at ogeo.com slash golf. Everybody knows the most important thing about a walking golf bag is the straps. And Callaway and OGO have invested in the technology in these things, and it is the most comfortable golf bag you you will have ever put on your shoulders. So, uh, without any further ado, let's get back to Justin Ray. What do you you know when you're there's a broadcast going on Golf Central or or you know during an actual live event? What are you the one that kind of triggers you know the stat process, or does somebody say to you, "Hey, we need to know how often this has been done. Go figure it out, and you do it in thirty seconds." Or kind of what does it look like when you're live and on kind of on the spot? Yeah, it's kind of a combination of things. Um, you know, I if someone has a, like if if like when I was with Golf Channel, if Brandel has an idea or Frank Noble has an idea, you know, I'll look something up for them, and um, you know, we'll come up with a way to put it together for the show. Um, but during during live action, I'm usually just looking for things that are interesting, something that's going to be you know relevant that we can create into a graphic or a font for the you know like a text on the screen. Um, I just kind of engineer it myself a lot of the time where you just see what's going on and try to contextualize it. And, you know, like 
you know, when Ricky Fowler is coming down the stretch on the back nine at Phoenix, you know, what's a, what's the best story we can tell in this situation, you know, on the screen, whether it's in our highlight on golf central or, um, it's a note we can get to, uh, the guys in the tower, whatever it might be. So, um, you just kind of always, it's kind of a way to think about sports as you go, where you're kind of always looking for what's next, anticipating what might happen and, you know, kind of sensing what's going to be most interesting. And then, and then you just dig and dig and dig until you, you hit the end of the earth, basically. So um, uh, the, the dirty secret about, and I've, I've had people make fun of me about it is that, you know, I'll be in a production trailer working at the masters or the U S open. And I'll feel like I have, I've seen about 10 shots the whole week because I'm just constantly digging and looking things up. So um, there's, <laughs> that's a slight downside to it is that maybe I, I don't always get to be in the moment. Cause I'm always, you know, looking for something new and, and trying to provide more context for people. But um, it's just kind of like a relentless digging process that, you know, I, it sounds really dorky to say, but I get great joy out of it. I love doing it and I love finding the answers to stuff. Do you ever get completely stumped? Like, do you have an example of something like you wanted to find out and could never do or something that still just like picks, eats at you that you can't figure out? Um, I wish we had uh, more detailed statistics in major championships um, going back historically. Um, they just got um, the shot tracker technology to the PGA Championship like five years ago. And, you know, you would love to know what Tiger's strokes game putting was at Pebble Beach in 2000 where he, when he blew everyone away mm. something like that it's just numbers there's just numbers that don't exist so um, that can be frustrating at times but you know that's kind of where that process comes in to where okay we're at the Masters um, in 2017 with Sergio won and I want to know the guys who have had X number of top 10s before their first major win I've got to create my own new tool to try to answer that question by making the that's the top tens and majors database thing I mentioned. So um, usually that kind of spurs more creativity. If I get stumped, then maybe you know I can come up with a way to answer the question. And usually involves a lot of work and building my own tool to answer that question. But um, so in a weird way, I kind of like getting stumped because it gets me into a into another thought process where I can you know dig deeper and try to come up with a way to answer the problem. Do you have a favorite stat you've pulled or favorite tweet of yours where you're like, all right, that is my favorite thing I've ever accomplished in all of this statistical <laughs> analysis. Um, you know, the, the the crazy tiger stuff always gets the most reaction, obviously, yeah. because, you know, he just crosses over every sport. And what's great about um, tiger is that he's just so, his numbers are so absurdly dominant that you can keep coming up with ways to articulate how incredible he was at his peak. And there's really no end to it. I mean, it's, it's amazing. The things that I, I still come up with stuff now, even after, you know, I used to, they used to make fun of me at ESPN. You know, a lot of times there's one golfer in the world, as we all know. So the joke with me was that I was the Tiger Woods researcher for a long time at ESPN, <laughs> and I still come up with stuff. I'm like, wow, that's that's unbelievable. I had no idea. You come up with ways to articulate what what he created. It's tough to say what tweet I might be most proud of or what number I might be most proud of. I think anytime I work on something that gets picked up by people I respect, whether it's um, whether it's like Dan Hicks in the booth or, or you guys or, um, or like Kevin Van Valkenburg or you know, anybody in golf media who I really have a lot of um, who, who I really you know, respect and, and admire. If they run with it, I mean, that, that's what I'm most proud of. What uh, out of all the people at Golf Channel, who picks your brain the most? Who wants like who who like, goes to you for information to kind of formulate something they're going to say on TV, or kind of who uh, who makes you work the hardest? Um, well, 
It's definitely Brandel. I knew um, that. I knew that was the answer. That's why. But I asked. It, it, we we love doing it. I love getting into a room with him, and he's got an idea about something, and I've got an idea about something, and you know, he Brandel is amazing. His work process is he has these yellow legal pads that are basically legendary at Golf Channel because he has this 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 beautiful cursive handwriting, and it's just all over these legal pads, just like tattooed the entire. And it's just page after page after page, and it's stuff he's tracking and, you know, things he comes up with. And one of my favorite things when I was at Golf Channel was Brandon would have a thought, and he would have a million words on his legal pad. And my job would be to talk to him and create something that we could turn from that into a graphic we could put on the screen during a breakdown. <laughs> because you can't have 10 zillion characters on the screen, you know, you've got to tell the story for the fans. So um, that was one of the things I loved the most working at Golf Channel was, you know, just being able to to hang out and, and talk golf with those guys. It's, it's unbelievable. People like David Duvall and, you know, Frank Nobel has won all over the world. And, you know, Jim Gallagher Jr. is a great guy to hang out with. He won a tour championship, beat Seve in the Ryder Cup. Like, these are really accomplished pros and, and just, you know, in some cases, like David, these are like titans in their era. Right. And to just be able to sit there and, and, and kick it and talk about the sport we love and things that are happening, I mean, that's, I mean, you can't, you can't put price on that. Well, I did send you uh, send you some homework because I, I wanted to kind of pick your brain on some of your favorite stats, but I didn't want to put you yeah. on the spot. We're going to get to some of those, but before we do, is there something you think like people get wrong about statistics in general, or something that you think that you wish you could hammer home to listeners or people that watch golf or you know are golfers that they don't really fully understand about the game? Yeah, the joke that a lot of like my college buddies who don't work in TV make or like somebody who's not real familiar with, like, oh yeah, so you can tell me who has the best par four scoring average when it's blowing wind 10 to 12 miles an hour on alternate Sundays, like they come up with some convoluted nonsense that's really specific. And, you know, I never want to do that. I want to tell what the, the story that's most important, you know, it's not just minutia for the sake of minutia. It's, it's, it's all part of the storytelling process. And the main thing I have to hammer home is that, you know, without accuracy, you really have nothing in this job mm-hmm. and you can lose your credibility really, really fast. I could come up with 200 incredible statistics but I'm going to remember and people are going to remember the one I messed up. So I wouldn't call it pressure to always be accurate, but it is something that's incredibly valuable and important. And you can, you can ruin a reputation really quick because people rely on your information. And if you, if you get it wrong, I mean, you've got to own up to it and, and get better at it because, you know, then you, if you lose your credibility, you, you know, it doesn't matter what you come up with. People aren't going to believe you. <laughs> well, if you made if you made an error, the tweet I would feel I would still think about first would be uh, I, I don't remember it exactly, but it was about counting the number of days in between. I think twenty one year old winners of the Masters. Am I, am I, is that jogging your memory? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah um, I think it was like Seve. It was Seve, Tiger, and Jordan, and it was like some insane parallel between it was the Saturday of the 2014 masters and Jordan was in the final pairing with Bubba. And yeah, no, I remember that. Yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. Like the BBC grabbed onto that and it was, yeah, this, the, the amount of days since uh, there had been a 21 year old winner was the same as the previous time in between 21 year old winners. I'm like, dude, how do you, that was the one I was like, all right, what the hell does this database look like? Yeah. I mean, honestly, man, it's just, if you just keep mining and digging and going, eventually you come up with something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, um, when, when Phil won in Mexico last year, it was a similar type of situation where Tiger was going to play at Bay Hill and, you know, he hadn't won yet um, since he had come back. 
And it was the same thing. Like it was like Phil went 1,487 days between wins. Sunday at Bay Hill will be 1,487 days between Tigers wins or something like that. Some insane coincidence. There's no way I could – you just happen to fall into it because you're immersed in it every day. And you keep digging and working hard, and then you know eventually you dig through the cave long enough and you find a diamond. Hmm. All right, so let's get to some of the uh, some of the homework I gave you, and I, I don't know how many. I hope you have just a full database of your favorite Tiger Woods stats. But I asked you to, to accumulate your ten favorite Tiger Woods stats. Do you have that for us? I do, absolutely. I love pulling this together because I had to whittle it down from like twenty five. Hey, so. You could hit people with this. <laughs> uh, one thing I learned: you can hit people with as much Tiger stuff as you care to, and they will cu- keep coming back for more. I, yeah, I, no I think you'll probably that. agree too. Like I think the more we talk with uh, with you know pros and other people, it's it's that Tiger's somehow underrated in everything he's accomplished. I've always said for years that I mean it's like going through the NBA record books now and seeing Wilt Chamberlain's name everywhere, and you're like, Wilt had a fifty and thirty season. You're like, how is that even possible? <laughs> like we're going to go back and look at Tiger twenty five years from now and be like, how did he do this? Like this, he was playing another sport, so. I've always kind of compared him to Will in that regard because you, you just comb through like the NBA record books and like the James Harden 30 point streak that ended the other night. He got to like 31. Well, he was only like 60 behind Will for the all time <laughs> number. Like some ridiculous total. And that's really what Tiger's done to the PGA Tour record book. All right. Hit me with some. Okay. Number 10. I've got him in countdown format. From 2003 through 2005, Tiger had 1,543 putts from three feet in it. He missed three of them. <laughs> the other thing, too, you were asking what one thing you would lay out to people. The way you present the information, too, can make a big impact. So if you just – if you say in a sentence like that, it can be more impactful than just you know listing it or what it might be. But Right. If you just say Tiger missed three putts for, for you know over three years from inside three feet, doesn't mean as much as, yeah, he did it 1,500 times and only missed three of them. <laughs> yeah, he was 1540 for 1543. Yeah. That's absurd. Uh, all right. <laughs> Number nine, there are eight PGA Tour seasons since uh, 1983 in which a player beat the field average by 2.6 strokes per round. All eight of those seasons belong to Tiger Woods. Yep, that makes sense. So basically the eight best stroke differential seasons ever in the in this modern era where they have all the numbers, they all belong to Tiger. I think uh, <laughs> along that line, I asked Mark Brody last year on the podcast his favorite Tiger stat or the, the most impressive Tiger stat. And he said at one point, Tiger beat the field average in strokes gained in 89 consecutive rounds. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> it's absolutely mind-boggling. That was a great pod with, uh, with Mark. All right, number eight. Tiger is the only player to win the U.S. Junior Amateur, U.S. Amateur, and the U.S. Open in his career. He won each three times. Oh, my God. <laughs> number seven. 16 rounds In the 16 rounds of the Tiger Slam, Tiger beat the field by an average of 5.4 strokes per round, which doing that once is incredible in a major. That was his average over the 16 rounds of the Tiger Slam. That means that during the Tiger Slam, he beat the field average by a combined total of more than 86 shots. <sighs> I think the Tiger Slam is somehow underappreciated or forgotten. Like I, I feel like, one, that 2001 Masters was one of the best. I mean, it was Tiger and Phil and Duval coming down the stretch for the Tiger Slam, and it was truly biting nails all the way to the very end. And somehow, I don't, I don't feel like that accomplishment got the same appreciation that it should. One, because I remember being that age and thinking, well, I guess it doesn't really matter. He's going to win the next three anyways, and he's going to have the Tiger Slam <laughs> and the Grand Slam. He's going to win seven straight. But uh, looking back at that, that is so absolutely absurd that he won four majors in a row. 
he had beating Pete Duval at that time in 2001 in that crucible with all that attention on him. And it was just like, it was just assumed that he was going to do it. And he did it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, all right. Number six, Tiger during the 2000 season had one score worse than 73. It was in the first round of the Masters when he shot 75. He still beat the field average by more than half a shot that day. And that, so that's probably what cost him the, the Grand Slam that year then. <laughs> right. Yeah. Basically, it was. And he was still better than average. It was one round worse than 73 in the whole season. That must have been uh, just blustery as hell that day or something. Who won that 2000? Was that VJ? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number five, during a stretch from May of 99 through the end of 2000, Tiger played in 34 tournaments worldwide. He won 18 of them. <laughs> in that span, he had seven wins by four or more. He had four finishes outside the top 10. So he won seven tournaments by four shots or more and finished outside the top 10 four times in that span. <laughs> so he was as likely, he was more likely to win by more than four than finish outside the top 10. Almost twice as likely to win by four. That's more. wonderful. Yeah. And somehow, I still think like some of his Hank Haney years are are even more impressive. Which I think you're going to probably tap into at least some of that here in in the, in the coming facts. Yeah, definitely. Uh, number four, Tiger has won five straight PGA Tour starts three different times. He's the only player in the last sixty years to do it once. <laughs> sixty years. Yeah, <laughs> I think Hogan well, is the one before him. I was gonna say who who has even won like three straight starts. Um, I had, that that one's that was not on your homework list, but that that would no, be maybe one no. to take home with you. That's like I can't think of one over you know since yeah I I, I wouldn't even know where to guess. I want to say Watson did it. Okay, um, uh, but I mean, yeah, no, I didn't have that handy on my on my homework list. Unfortunately, but yeah, if no one else in sixty years has done it at all, he did it three different times. I, I think as, that was important for you, uh, reputation-wise, that people knew that you don't have all this memorized. I think that's a good thing, and I think it's important for everyone to know. They probably need to lock me up if I had all this. Yes, memorized. that would I'm be actually, sick. I think I'm really bad at memorizing things. I just you know kind of dig and keep going and know where to find stuff really quickly. So, there you go. Um, you need to. You definitely need to institutionalize me if I knew all this stuff Correct. off the top of my head. Uh, though I do have a buddy uh, who I worked with at ESPN who can recite the final out of the World Series every year since like 1944 or something. It's it's insane Rain Man stuff, and I am not on that planet. Weird flex, but okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, number three, Tiger won nine times in the 2000 PGA Tour season. No other player led after nine rounds that year. <laughs> yep, makes sense. <laughs> Uh, number two, I love this fact, even though it's it's um, it's probably been heard several times, but I just the sentence itself is so absurd. Tiger has forty European Tour wins, third most all time. He's never played on the European <laughs> Tour, and I know people will be like, "Oh, but they count majors and WGCs." I'm like, "Yeah, that just means he won like half of those starts during that span, and he did he just did it so prolifically that he got to forty. It's ridiculous. Third all time, gosh. And Patrick Reed is a lifetime member of the European Tour, and uh, not Tiger. And Tiger is not. <laughs> uh, and number one, uh, this one, it's numbers intensive, but I, I think it's crazy. It has to be the top one from '97 through 2008. Tiger was 126 under par in majors. All right, there are 138 other players in that span with at least 40 rounds in majors. Of that group, second place is Joe Ogilvy at 63 over par. Joe Ogilvy, not even Jeff? Correct. Now, <laughs> that speaks to the fact that Joe probably played like 40 to the minimum number of rounds of majors in that span. Yeah. Um, but if you go the same amount of major rounds, 
Tiger is like more than 200 shots ahead of Phil and Ernie. 200 shots? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. 126 under in majors. And that is nearly 200 better than anyone else with, with at least 40 rounds of majors in that span. Oh my God. And, and so that, that is, uh, that's I'm, just never having a bad round. I'm, I'm trying to wrap yeah. my head around that too. And I think it's like, I wonder what Nicholas's numbers all would look like. Uh, cause I, I, and we're going to get to this with tiger too. Like the lat the latter half of your career, like you're going to just like shoot higher numbers. Uh, and yeah, you know, those and totals are going to, going to creep up, but I will, I just wonder kind of how that would have compared to, uh, to Nicholas, like in his prime and, and whatnot. Cause he, I mean, what's amazing about tiger to me, one of the many things I think he only has maybe five runner ups in majors with 14 wins. And I mean, Correct. people love to cite, I mean, it's, it's well known that, you know, Jack had 19 runner ups to go with his 18 wins, but also had like 17 third place finishes or something absurd like that. But when tiger got close, he made sure one of my numbers later on, it wasn't okay. <laughs> I, I'm spoiling it. We, we're not done with the full David Letterman style here, but uh, uh, I, I don't know what that means. And Rory's kind of the same way. Like when Rory gets close at majors, he wins it. Like he, he doesn't have like a bunch of close calls. It seems like, I don't know what that means. Right. Yeah, I don't have a, a great answer for that either. Um, but the sheer consistency of Jack throughout the course of his career in those big events is is mind blowing. Like I said, I've got one of those later. All right, so. <laughs> well, let's go right into that. What What are some? I asked for your five favorite golf stats in general in the non Tiger division. Um, so I've got a top five and an honorable mention. Okay. The honorable mention is um, she hasn't played great golf recently, but Lydia Co. Age stats are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, she won 10 LPGA tournaments before she turned 19. The previous record was Nancy Lopez to get to 10 wins at 22. Oh, my God. Um, there are eight LPGA wins all time. Just events, instances of it ever happening. There are eight LPGA wins all time by players 17 or younger, and Lydia has six of them. So, I mean, just what she did at her age, um, absolutely incredible. And people forget how young. I think she's like, what, 22, 21, something like that now. So, um, you know. That what she did as a teenager is just completely unprecedented in the sport. And that's what I mean, without a doubt. And that's what it's hard to really understand what really happened. You know why that why that went away. I know she's made so many changes, but it also, you know, not to bring everything back to Tiger, but put into perspective, like not only did he burst onto this scene, but he maintained it for a really long time. And of course. He hasn't won a major in you know eleven years now, but he did this for such a long period of time that's so hard to maintain this top level. We see guys. I mean, DJ has been on a three year run of I think he's won eleven times in the last three years. Uh, but Jason right. Day had his like eighteen month run, but then it went away. And like Justin Rose has had an incredible run as well, but just no one can really sustain it for a, a really notably long period of time. Tiger is n- number one in the world for more than thirteen years. That's not counting when he was like two or three, like right behind VJ or. Ernie or whoever, that's just as number one for 13 years. Like his his prime was that's 97 to to 08, and then you throw in 12 and 13 a little bit too. I mean, it's it's absolutely incredible. Well, and along the same things, you know, age age is very different on the LPGA tour. But I was looking, you know, we did a right. podcast with Annika Sorensen a couple of weeks ago, and she won uh, I forget now, I think 10 majors, whatever it was. And she mm-hmm. didn't win her first one until she was 24 years old. And this, that's the same age as Michelle Wee was when she won her first major. And that was like, finally, she's won a major. Yeah, she broke through. Yeah. And so it, it's. <laughs> she can't rent a car yet. Yeah. And so, like, it, it, you know, people are really quick to rush to judgment, I think, on like Ricky Fowler and. 
you know, so he's never won. He, you know, if he doesn't win a major now, he's never going to win one. So he's 30. He's like, all right, guys, like, I know we did this with Phil, but Phil was 33 years old when he won his first major. And Correct. so it, it, it's, I don't know. I, I hate when people give, and I'm kind of all over the place here, but I hate when people That's are okay. like, you know, Aaron Badley has the same amount of wins as, uh, as, you know, Ricky Fowler. It's like, guys, compared to people his own age, at least, I mean, the guy's not even halfway probably through his career. He's got a lot ahead of him. And Tiger spoiled us, and then uh, I've got a mention of him later, but Jordan Spieth spoiled us, too, with his young success. Mm-hmm. So um, what Ricky's done at his age is, is pretty commendable. I know that people want him to do more, but, um, I mean, he's got a lot of time. Like He's only 30 years old. So Correct. All right, number five on my five favorite non-Tiger golf statistics. I don't think people realize how tough it is to convert 54-hole leads on the PGA Tour. Yes. Um, players with a one, two, or three-shot lead, so – one shot, two shot, three shots. They went 33% of the time over the last six years. I mean, it is so hard oh to close a lead. So the label of somebody choking or even like, you know, Rory being in the final pairing last week in Mexico, I mean, still four back. It's really, I mean, it's, it's so tough to, to win one of these elite golf tournaments. Um, and I, I don't think people, you know, I don't think they realize that. If you take the number down to just one shot since 2013, it's 26% of the time players convert. Jeez. That's what I love following. I think it's Ken Palm Golf or one, Ken Pomeroy Golf Odds. I think it's just like yeah. a computer that tweets the stats out. But as things go along, I mean, it'll show you your, your percentage chance of winning, like when you tee off. So, like, Roy tees off with a one shot lead. It still might show it depending on how many guys are close to him and, and how many shots back, obviously. It shows. And who's close to him? Yes, yeah. exactly. It's like, yeah, he's got a 17 percent chance of winning right now or something like that it's like wait a second here that is so different than how it's presented of these over you know he's only closed two of his six 54 hole leads like actually that's like pretty good percentage that's on, that's on par yeah. yeah i mean unless it was a five or a six shot lead what's kind of crazy is that when i made the 54 leader database on tour when you get to four shots it astronomically jumps yeah. into like the 80 percent range now it, i know we're, a few weeks ago jt blew a four shot lead but um I don't know if that speaks to the elite level of player who can get to a four shot lead through 54 holes hmm. and a combination of that. And obviously he's got that much of a gap, but one, two or three shots since 2013, is just 33% of the time. Well, and that's where again, tiger kind of screwed things up for us and that his numbers looked like Mariano Rivera in his prime closing tournaments out and kind of screwed up what we thought was a normal percentage of con- conversion of 54 hole leads. Probably. I think, yeah, I think tiger's 46 for 48 with an outright 54 hole. Are you serious? Which is, yeah, well, I thought he had. I thought he had given away more, uh, more PJ. Well, a couple toys. times he was. A couple times he was tied for the lead. Um, okay, but yeah, I think it's. I'm pretty sure it's 46 for 48 after Eastlake last year. And just the one major that he had the lead and didn't win. Correct. Oh nine PGA, I think. Correct. Yep. Correct. Number four. Uh, nobody has ever won the players in back to back years. Hmm. Um, only two, yeah, and I think this is fascinating. Only two defending champions at Sawgrass have ever even finished in the top five. So why this has never happened on that golf course? Um, we did a feature about it last year um, for live from the players and asked a bunch of players about it, and they were all kind of stumped by it too. I don't know if it speaks to the, the kind of equal test that uh, Sawgrass can be, or you know, there's been all kinds of different winners. The players from, I mean, Fred Funk and. You know, Adam Scott won in a span of three years, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I, I've always been interested by the fact that 
they've never had a back-to-back winner. There. That's interesting. Yeah, there's no real like I guess horse for course. You know, we they, we see it every year. It's such a highly emphasized tournament, and we're never like, oh, he plays really well at Sawgrass. Like no one, we never say that really about anyone. That is interesting, Phil. I mean, Phil won there and it couldn't believe, what did he say a couple years ago? Like, I can't believe I ever won here. <laughs> I can't believe I won on this golf course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's one of the, so every big event and even like week to week, I'll do, you know, best scoring average on this course last five years or since 2010 or whatever it might be. The players is the only one where there's never a guy who's in the sixties over the last five hmm. years. It's always 70, 70 and a half, 71. And that's, that's the guy with the best scoring average in that span. Um, it's pretty incredible. Also, a side note to that, Colonial has not had a back-to-back winner since 1952-1953, and which I think is really interesting because we always pick um, – Colonial is always the one we go to. Oh, that's a course Zach Johnson can win on mm-hmm. or Jim Furyk can win on, but they haven't had a back – it seemed to fit a style of player you know, in our minds, but they haven't had a back-to-back winner in almost 70 years. So it, are we safe to say, and I'm sure you don't have this handy, but like for most PGA Tour events, we've had back-to-back winners at pretty much all of them since then? Well, definitely all the ones Tigers played. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but even like um, Pebble Beach has had a handful of them. Um, you know, usually you'll find guys who've won back to back. But I guess on the really on tougher courses, it's harder to find. Like this week at the Honda, you know, Jack's the only guy. It wasn't at um, PGA National, but Jack's the only guy to win that tournament back to back years, and it's always been on a pretty, for the most part, a pretty difficult course. So um, it's just always been interesting. I mean, when you when you dig for trends and you find that, you know, at a place like that, nobody's ever done it back to back. Is Matt every at Bay Hill, the last guy to go back to back at a PGA tour event. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I don't know. I don't know if you have that handy. I doubt it, but that's the last one. I, that may be the best back to back win of all time. <laughs> Most incredibly unpredictable one. Correct. I mean, that's for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Kepka U S open. Oh God, that's right. Maybe Kepka's kind of onto something about being forgotten about. <laughs> well, well, I mean, anytime it's a major, it's in a different venue. Yeah, I mean, that's it, true. It doesn't feel the same. Brendan Steele won Safeway back to back years too. Uh, Sixteen. That's and 17. right. You're right. I did not have that handy. I found that that quickly. <laughs> that's an example of you know what you're you've got to do if let's say you're in a commercial break and Ryan versus who's the last guy to win this tournament back to back and you've got. 11 seconds to answer it. So that's a symptom of the sickness right there. That's what you just displayed. Yeah. But truthfully too, it it is a sickness. That's what, that's the fun thing to me. I get a rush out of that. So awesome. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Number three, we're going to the Ryder cup. Um, The last four Ryder cups on European soil. So this is 06, 10, 14 and 18 American players ranked in the top 10 in the world at the time have a combined match record of 24, 42 and six. So the top 10 players in the world for the U.S., last four Ryder Cups in European soil, that's how bad they've been. I, I love that you included 06 because I can't tell you how many times the 06 Ryder Cup has come up on this podcast. I think that <laughs> I know that <laughs> that, uh, that was Tiger, Phil, and Furyk were one, two, and three in the world. I think, and uh, I think maybe they won like two matches between all of them at that point. But well, it definitely impacts that number. Yeah, at a certain point, it's like all right, if our top our guys ranked in the top ten aren't winning matches, then like what are we actually trying to figure out? You just got to go out and play some golf at a certain point. Yeah, it seems like a pretty easy equation to solve. Yeah. You're just, hey, Dustin Johnson at Paris wins some matches, and maybe you know it'll be different. You've made the full convert to 15th Club here, <laughs> pulling just European site uh, Ryder Cups there. That's that's well done. That's my only uh, – I'm not anti-American, obviously, but that's my only – that's my only, you know, negative – U.S. Ryder Cup stat I have. There's, pro- there's probably more if you keep picking at that one. But yeah, well, continue. I've only, like I said, I've only had this job for about 30 hours. <laughs> That's so right. 
there's still time. Uh, my number two is Jack's ridiculous consistency in the majors. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jack has 73 top tens in the majors. Yep. 73. Since the first Masters was, uh, was held in 34, that's 25 more than anyone else. Sam Snead is second with 48. So to put that in perspective, the following players have less than 25 top tens in majors in their careers. Billy Casper, Vijay Singh, Lee Trevino, Hale Irwin. So basically it's Jack... Yeah, his top tens are equivalent to Sam Snead plus Billy Casper. <laughs> and I, I, I definitely don't want to take away from anything that Jack accomplished, but it, it is a symptom of a different era in that there yes. just was not the same depth. And he would probably tell you, like, if I played an average, you know, if I, if I played very average at a major, I maybe fell out of the top ten. Yeah. Yeah. What did he go? With? I think it's like 36 for 40 in the 70s, finishing the top ten in majors. Right, he had more wins than finishes outside the top ten. <laughs> it's just it insane. Yeah, um, I think you're going to like my number one. Okay. Um, so there's a player that is a fan favorite, flashy, flamboyant, burned out quickly, and we've all been searching for him mm-hmm. ever since. And every once in a while, when I dig through numbers, I find an Anthony Kim piece of gold. And it, I, I, there's a buddy I work with at Golf Channel who I always texts him when I find it because he gets the biggest kick out of it. Um, so over the last forty years. There are more than 300 players with at least 10 rounds at the Masters. Okay. okay? Four players have gained 1.8 strokes or more per round on the field in that group mm. over the last 40 years. Those players are Jordan Spieth, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, and Anthony Kim. Oh, my God. I know. It just Sweet makes you curious that, that day when he made – was it nine birdies or ten birdies? It was some unbelievable run. I, I think mean, he made 11 birdies one it year. It was 11. Yeah, I think it was 11. You're right. He only shot like 63, I think, with it. Or he had a double or something like that. I'd have, I'd have to look well, that one up. That's but, more reason to love the guy. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> he might be the original Icarito. He flew too close to the sun. And I think he actually <laughs> touched it and, and uh, melted back and – Came back to Earth, man. We miss that guy. We're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna figure something out on that front. We're trying so hard to get him on the podcast. One of these days, we're gonna just force our way in the door and get it done. I, I I'm not gonna promise, but I, I have a good feeling. I'm gonna listen to it the moment you tweet it. Then when that happens, <laughs> I mean, my dad played golf for Oklahoma, so I've got a little bit of a you know I, I rooted for him really hard when he came out. I mean, my two favorite players at that time. So it's like 07, 08, 09. It was Tiger and Anthony Kim. Those are the guys I root for. So yep. I love I, – I, every once in a while, I'll fall into like most wins before 26 since X and like Anthony mm. Kim's at the bottom of the graphic. So Don't break um, my heart like that. I don't, I don't, I don't need to – I'm going to start pacing around the room here pretty shortly. I just love falling into the – finding AK on, on one of those lists every once in a while. Is there a player that you think doesn't get the respect they deserve? Like in your opinion, we may have already. It might even be Tiger for all we've uh, we've talked about him. But uh, is there anybody that sticks out to you? I think the guy who's at the top of the sport now that kind of fits that bill is Justin Thomas. Yeah, um, he spent the first few years of his career in Jordan Speed. I don't know if you've ever seen the photo of them at the Junior Ryder Cup eating a hamburger. You know? Was that one <laughs> the one in France? I feel like <laughs> oh, I saw I that a few so. years ago. I've never yeah, seen that before. I think we put a moratorium on that photo. Of, like nine months ago at golf. Okay, we get it. We're not showing it anymore. Um, And the truth is, like, he's going to end up in the shadow of him in record books, too. Um, You know, Thomas, if he would have won at uh, Riviera, he would have been, it would have been just over the last 60 years, guys to get to 10 wins at his age. Tiger, Jack, Spieth, and JT. So it would have just been Tiger, Jack, and JT. But Jordan did it right before him. And he's always going to be associated with Jordan. And I think that lessens a little bit the 
kind of how we view what he's accomplished at such a young age. So uh, he definitely fits that mold for me. Hmm, interesting. And you, you must have had that one ready, ready to go if he won and he didn't win. So you just had to jam that one in somewhere, huh? Yeah. How did that <laughs> it took a lot of digging at Phoenix. So you've got to go back six decades and, you know, he was in contention there. So, yeah. <laughs> Do you have a most like most random stat you've ever pulled out of your ass? It's always kind of circumstantial. Um, and, you know, when something is happening and you figure, all right, this guy's going to be the first since Tiger or Jack or, you know, Phil or somebody like that. But like a few weeks ago, um, Cameron Champ was contending in Maui. I think it was Friday. And so if he would have won that week, I've got to look way ahead. I know it's Friday. It is, you can't win the tournament that day. But if it's some big note, it's going to take me a long time. You know, I've got to look, find it a couple days in advance. So I wanted to find, all right, who's the last guy to win twice in his first 13 career starts? You're thinking, oh, it's probably going to be Tiger, you know, um, you know, maybe going further back, maybe it's Jack. And then you dig through it and you find out the last guy to do that is Robert Gomez. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you, you assume you're going to come up with this, you know, big, you know, enormous historic name, and it's Robert Gomez. Another one was from recently, um, DJ at Shinnecock. He led by four after the second round. And so that Friday night, I'm thinking, all right, who's the last guy to lose a four-shot 36-hole lead in the U.S. Open? And you think, oh, man, Arnold Palmer must have done it at one point, or you know, maybe Sam Snead one of the times he was runner-up. No, it's Tom McNamara, 1908. Oh, my God. It's always kind of in the moment, and like I said, circumstantial, but you'll pluck out some name, and you're like, yeah, I had no idea. you know. So um, that's, that's – I mean, last week I tweeted that um, – Oh, what was the name of the guy that won on the web.com tour? Oh, was I it Martin Trainer the one? Yeah, Puerto- Martin Trainer. Yeah, that his was Puerto great, Rico. Great, yeah, Puerto. I'm sorry, Puerto Rico. Yeah, his great great uh, grandfather <laughs> invented the cotton gin. <laughs> Where did you find that? So the way that 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 is total luck to come up with something like that. Like we'll have in the show. That, all right, we're going to do a Martin Trainer career notes um, out of the highlight of his win in Puerto Rico. I'm really sorry that I said web.com tour, Martin. I, it was a PGA Tour win, absolutely. Yes. I did not mean that. Um, but we're going to do a graphic on career notes, and so you, you're looking through like bio information on the PGA Tour, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, his dad played professional basketball in France. That's cool. We'll get that on the graphic. Uh, you know, won twice on the web.com tour last year, and there's like a blurb somewhere in there. Great-great-grandfather invented the cotton gin. And you're like, What? So it's it's really just kind of happenstance to come up with that. And yeah. like I said, you keep mining and digging, and eventually you find some absurd note like that. Wow. All right, we're going to get a few more stats out of you, and then we're going to let you out of here. But I uh, I gave you three guys that I wanted to learn more about or something that I don't know about or the listeners might not know. So tell me something about Rory that I don't know. Um, so I don't think his accomplishments at his age have been celebrated enough. I know I've harped on age and and wins and stuff um, talking to you today, but I mean, there's just so many guys who've done so many incredible things at such a young age recently that, you know, I don't think we've celebrated Rory enough. The only guys with four majors before the age of 26 in the last hundred years are Bobby Jones, Jack Nicholas, Tiger Woods, and Rory McIlroy. Mm. I mean, that's what he did at that young of an age, four majors before 26. Um, I want to do a good and a bad. So the, that was the good. The bad, um, so Rory, he's been in the top six in scoring average in the PGA Tour each of the last five years. But in that same span, his stroke skin approach rank has dropped every year with 12th to 23rd to 29th, 48th, 56th last season. So he's by no means a bad iron player, but I think that's just a testament to how remarkable his driving is. I was going to say, yeah. He's able to still be an elite scorer 
um, with his iron play diminishing year by year. Man, it's so refreshing to have you here talking to me. The last podcast we recorded, I had to answer questions as to whether or not Rory was dead. That was the question that was asked. And I had to say that, you know, Rory is leading the, uh, this, so we're, we're recording this before the end of Honda. This is going to go up after Honda, but, uh, he's leading the tour in strokes gain total for the year. And I had to convince, you know, I convinced the guys around me that that was a good thing somehow. So, uh, you're welcome to come back anytime. <laughs> I'll, hey, I'll back you up whenever you need it, man. Um, so, I mean, look, he's he's had a really accomplished career so far. This is the first time he's had four straight top five finishes. I know with Rory, the barometer is win or it's a failure sometimes. And I think that maybe he's a victim of his own success in that regard. That's what I was going to say. I wish I would have said this last week on the podcast was if Tiger had come out with four straight top fives this year. Think of how excited we would have been about it. You know what I mean? Uh, but they'd be blasting fireworks off the top of Golf Channel at the top of every hour. Exactly. Tiger, it's like, all right, let's get excited about it. And I know, I know why it feels frustrating. We just feel like Rory should have this gear that he can enter into and win you know, tournaments and hasn't done it in recent years. But uh, I think, man, I'd much rather be in Rory's shoes right now than the next guy we're going to talk about. I was going to say, tell me something about Jordan Speed that I don't know. All right, I got another good and bad for him. Okay. Um, I want to talk about how un- unbelievable the start of his Masters career is. He's the only guy in the history of the Masters with four top three finishes in his first five career starts. Jack didn't do it. Tiger didn't do it. Um, Sarah's and Watson, name, name a guy. They didn't do it. He's the only one with four top threes through five starts. So through 20 career Masters rounds, Tiger had gained 37 strokes on the field collectively. That's total, not per round. Mm-hmm. 37. Jordan has gained 65. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. That well, is how unbelievable the beginning of his master's career has been. Well, I got tired of updating it because I could. I always screwed the math up. But, like, his record against the field like was, like, 376 and four or something like that through, <laughs> right. through yeah. four years or something. Like, he'd only been beat by a couple guys in, in, in the span of four years, which is just absolute, absolutely nuts. But uh, I'm afraid to hear what the bad one is. So we all harp on his putting. I know on the last podcast you listed the putts he missed. I think on his second nine on Sunday mm-hmm. at Mexico, and it was a, just a it was a horror show. His putting is not good, but it's not his biggest issue. He's 116th in strokes gained putting. That's like you said, it's entering the Honda. But he's 172nd in strokes gained tee to green. Right. When he won the Open two years ago, he was second in strokes gained approach. He's 113th right now. So that narrative, I think. I don't know if it's because we saw him make so many big putts and big moments when he was at the top of his game, but the narrative that it's his putting that's completely letting him down, look, it's not good, but and it's easy to clip together a string of, of putts that he's emotive about after they don't go in, but statistically speaking, it's his iron play that's dropped off more. Yeah, I mean, I was screaming it from the rooftops back then. That you know, even that year that he let the Masters get away, everyone's like his ball striking's been so bad, and he was like leading the field in strokes gained approach for the week or something like that. It's like I don't know if it's because like we think he's some diminutive guy. I know. I I just don't understand where that narrative comes from. Which, by the way, if you stay next to him in person, like he's he's solid, six feet tall. Like he's not a tiny guy. So he's way bigger than Rory. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if that perception feeds into that or what it is, but. Um, it's his iron play so far this season that's let him down. Yeah, I mean, he's, he was one of the best ball strikers in the world. He just wasn't the super long bomber, um, or he still isn't, but now that ball striking has come crashing back to earth, and on top of that, I feel like, I don't know who's to say, but he might be pressing a bit with the putter, and there there does appear, does appear to be issues there. Um, but yeah, if, if you don't get it on the green and get it close anyways, it's not going to matter much. Correct. All right, tell me something uh, about Dustin Johnson that maybe I don't know. 
So we, we all know he's amazing T to green, but I think it's actually underappreciated how good he is. Last season, he played 15 tournaments where strokes gained T to green was measured all four routes. He never ranked outside the top 25 in that statistic in an individual event. <laughs> he never so bombs even his, out, yeah. Even his bad weeks, T to green, he was still gaining more than a shot per round on the field, T to green. I mean, that's unbelievable. If you're that consistent of a ball striker, I mean, he goes out there with his C game ball striking, and he's still better than the field. There's something I think about with Dustin more often than uh, it, it honestly kind of changed my perception of him. I mean, I know we kind of view him as this robot and no emotion. And we, we all saw his fist pump after he won Mexico. It was almost like, um, what am I supposed to do here? Oh, I'm supposed to fist pump. That's right. And you kind of think he doesn't care. I remember when I was in Abu Dhabi, he clearly had gotten an appearance fee to play in Abu Dhabi, and I was out following him and Rory. And um, I think uh, maybe Fleetwood was with him. And mm-hmm. it's they made the turn, and I think he's on the first hole. I think it was their second nine. And he hit like a, a very average chip. And he kind of is, is kind of near me, and he just under his breath, it's like, Ugh! He's just like grunting under his breath. Wow. And it was very like he he was very upset about that chip that he had just hit. And he wasn't playing poorly, but I was just like, oh, like maybe maybe there is like more to like his grind than people really fully appreciate. And you, if you look at his numbers, how he like you just mentioned, he doesn't bottom out. Like he doesn't at all. I, I forget where I heard this stat that someone somewhat somewhat recently about how he doesn't miss cuts. Like he hasn't missed cuts in the last However many cuts he's missed in the last several years would would shock you. I don't know where what that number is, but um, it's not. He's not like this crazy high, crazy low guy, bomb and gouge, wild all over the place guy. He's incredibly long, incredibly accurate, and so unbelievably skilled that it's like it's time for that to really start translating into majors. Yeah, he has five missed cuts worldwide since the beginning of 2016. That's absurd. That's crazy. In that span, he has 12 wins. And we again, <laughs> Tiger has ruined what missed cuts mean. You know what I mean? It's like he missed his what missed 15 or so in his career. So that you know that may that most may not of them say. are in the last couple of years. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, an, it's just an alien number. That's it's wilt. Like I said, I mean, you know, distorted everything. Was there a good and bad with DJ or only good? No, I only had good. Okay, um, good. And then, you know, he's one of the only only two guys in the last 35 years or so have led in a season in par three, par four, and par five scoring. Which I think we could call that golf triple crown like they do in baseball Ooh, i like that the only other guy to do that is tiger and he did it twice yep. so even when you do a great dj stat you work it in ah, tiger did it yeah twice. tiger's already done that <laughs> it's like it's like uh any other any tv show oh simpsons have already done that yeah uh, <laughs> yeah we may have covered this one most historically underrated player my favorite i've got a uh from the men's side from the women's side from the women's side i think babe zaharias is one of the most underrated athletes in history. All right. Um, she won two Olympic gold medals in track and field and 10 LPGA majors. I mean, <laughs> That's she, pl- she played in men's professional golf events in the 30s. I mean, this is so far before her time. She was so beloved. She was up there in terms of popularity with, like, in her day in the 40s with, you know, the big Yankees of the time. Like, she was a star. And the fact that she won, one of my, it's kind of gross, but she won a U.S. Open. U.S. Women's Open after beating cancer, wearing a colostomy bag. Oh like, my god! I, I encourage anybody to read. I'm a little biased. She's a Texas hero. I'm from the great state of Texas, but I love Babe Zaharias. Her accomplishments on and off on the course and in other sports are crazy. She pitched in like minor league baseball games. Like it, she, she is an unbelievable story. So mm-hmm. I encourage anybody to read up about her. On the men's side, I think Bobby Locke is historically one of the most underrated players. Um, he won a PGA Tour event by 16 shots, um, and then was and then was essentially banned from the tour. Why? 
I, he was too good. Really? I mean, I've had this conversation with, with uh, Brandel for years. I mean, we read into it, and, like, there's quotes from, like, Claude Harmon, who was the Masters champion, unsolicited, saying, yeah, basically Bobby Locke's been banned from the tour. And, you know, there were publicly there were other reasons for it. Um, I, don't, I don't know all the specifics. But when the ban was eventually lifted years later, Locke just chose not to play in the United States. And I think that if they had allowed him to play his career in the U S and circumstances have worked out differently, we would talk about him historically in a completely different way, man. Wow. You did, you brought the heat today. I'll give you that. I, <laughs> Thanks, I forget if I sent you, did I ask for five more fun ones? Did you, were I do you, have a few more fun ones, a few yeah. more fun ones and um, then we'll let you out of here. All right. Jason day in 2015 was ridiculous and we didn't celebrate it enough at the time. He averaged 4.71 birdies per round. The only player with more, uh, per round in a season the last 30 years, 2000 Tiger Woods. Oh my God. That's how good Jason Day was in 2015. Like, he won the Canadian Open uh, d- July through September, won the Canadian Open, won the PGA by three, and then two playoff events by six and six shots. I mean, he had an unbelievable year. And of course, he was player of the year and everything, but historically, we're going to look back and say, man, his peak is otherworldly. Tiger only beat that number one time. Yes. Whoa. Correct. That that yeah. anytime anytime you could say that, yeah, Tiger only got it one time. I was like, whoa, okay, that is <laughs> that is special. All right, that's a good one. Um, Ricky's heartbreak. I, I I wrote in my notes. Ricky's heartbreak index in the majors is astronomical. Um, since the first Masters in 1934, only three players have more top fives in majors without a win than Ricky does. That sounds bad. I mean, that he's gotten that close that often. And then you look at Lee Westwood, a guy who's been one of my favorite players for the last 20 years. He has the most top fives in the modern era of anyone without a win. He has 11 top fives in majors mm. and doesn't have a win. Just an unbelievable collection of, I mean, he was, uh, one of them was the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines, the Tiger won. And even recent, as recently as um, a few years ago when Danny Willett won the Masters, he was right there after Jordan collapsed. Um, just an unbelievable string of accomplishments in his career and got so close so often in majors and it's just never broken through. Yeah. And I've said it a million times on here. I hate when people make that out to be a bad thing in someone's career. Like they've been so close. It's a testament to how great you are. Yeah. I I totally think that. I think the same thing with, I said heartbreak index, but that's a testament to how great Ricky is. The fact that he keeps putting himself in that position time after time. Yep. All right. Three more. Okay. Um, We've had a really unprecedented run of elite players winning majors. Um, 28 straight major champions have been ranked in the top 50, which is crazy. Wow. We usually, I mean, to put that in perspective, from 09 to 0, uh, it's 2011, right before that run started, half of the major winners were ranked outside the top 50. That was like Keegan Bradley, Darren Clark, um, that run of major champions, Y. Yang, um, of guys who were outside the top 50 in the world. We've had 28 straight. Like the lowest ranked major winner in that span, I think is Jimmy Walker when he won the PGA. He was like, in the 40s, but Jimmy had won like five times on the PGA Tour in, in recent years when he done that. So, um, I mean, it's a re- I, I always go to a major now thinking, man, we're really due. For That's like- exactly. We got a group text, and we're like, oh, this is this finally. You know, we're due for uh, you know for Aaron Badley to win this. God, it's twice I've referenced Aaron Badley, but yeah, we're due. <laughs> we're due for so and so to win a major, aren't we? This week, and it just keeps not happening. It's really, I know. it's a testament, especially. Especially when we've got three straight opportunities for someone to complete a Grand Slam. You know that it's going to be, you know, I mean, yeah. Molinari wasn't really a dud. I mean, he had played elite golf. Right, correct. Golf. It's, he's fun to watch, too. But we're kind of due for a... A Ben Curtis. Uh, a Ben Curtis, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, a Todd Hamilton. Yes. You know, somebody we haven't, we haven't had one of those in so long. Um, we've been really fortunate for that. Correct. All right. Okay. Um, 
I every year I for the last four years I've picked Justin Rose to win the Masters and because all his trends point to yeah. him doing it. Um, he has the second most strokes gained against the field in the Masters the last five years. Only Jordan Spieth has more. So I'm going to do what I normally do going into Augusta, dig through all the numbers, and I'm going to land at Rose and, <laughs> and Rory, the only guy who's been in the top ten each of the last five years. And I'm just going to you know, be frustrated that that's what I come to the conclusion to because I, <laughs> I end up doing that every year going into Augusta. It, it is time. I was getting ready to say out loud, like if I didn't lock in speed as my pick, now would be a good time to bail. I'm still not going to, but if I wasn't going to, it's like I'm going to pick Justin Rose. And I remember he's ranked number one in the world, and then like that's not that bold of a call anymore. But No, it, not at all. Especially, like he's sneaky, is really consistent at Augusta. Correct. He doesn't, I guess we don't put him in that same... Like he wasn't in contention that crazy Sunday last year. Um, when Jordan won by a million, he was tied for second with Phil. Um, so I don't know if maybe we just don't look at him in that way, but his numbers point to it. Correct. Um, yeah. And my last one is going to be Tiger, uh, Tiger, like the last few weeks. Wouldn't have it any other way. All right. So you guys talked about, and uh, this is a point Brandel was making and you addressed on the last podcast. Like his approach has been really conservative on par fours and par fives. The PGA Tour has a stat called percentage of distance covered by tee shots. So basically, um, how much on par fours and par fives, how much of the hole are you taking out of play, um, you know, distance wise with your tee shot? Tiger's 186 in that statistic. And the guys that are around him on that statistic are like, Ryan Gay, guys with, with much slower club head speed. Tiger's 35th in club head speed, and he's 186th in the percentage of distance covering tee shots. So, I mean, he's playing back and trying to compete with the best part of his game. He's second in stroke skin approach this season. He was third last season. Um, it, there's reality based in that, you know, that theory that he's playing conservatively, and it's you know, leaving him with longer approach shots than others. And even though he's doing that, he's so good with his irons, he's still thir- uh, second on the tour in stroke gain approach. There you have it. I mean, that's... Uh, so I'm actually okay with it. I feel like for years, and I said this last week, like we've been yelling at him to put the driver away. And if he actually listens and gets on and plays well, I think that lowers his ceiling a little bit, of course. But mm-hmm. if he truly has not driven the ball great, I know he's actually driven when he's pulled driver, he's actually driven it pretty well this lat, this year. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's historically not a great driver of the ball. And we want him to be in play so he can hit irons on the green, make a ton of pars and sneak some birdies in there. Like he's going to be competitive playing like that. Yeah, so absolutely. And to that point, when he wanted East Lake, he was, 23rd out of 30 players in that percentage of distance there you covered go. by tee shots. Yeah, so. and I, I, the worst thing he could do is try to keep up with DJ and Rory and trying to cut the same dog legs as they are. I think he's he, and he he knows that. I don't think he has that kind of pride or ego that goes with with the driver anymore. And I think that's kind of a big step he's taken the last few years. So completely agree. Awesome, Jay Ray. Thank you a ton for all the background on everything you've done and for bringing the heat on the fun stats and keep up the great work on Twitter. Is your Twitter account changing? What is uh what is your Twitter account? It's just Justin Ray Golf. Now we took took GC off and and made it golf. All right, Justin Ray Golf. I'm sure most Same people. Spot. Most people here are already following that. But if you're not, please follow that. He is uh, one of the best follows on Twitter. So, Justin, thank you for taking the time, for coming on, and uh, for all you do for the world of golf. Thank you, brother. You too. Cheers. Good right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything!